0: We do have some that are visiting with us today. We're really glad that you're here. It is encouraging uh, for you to be here. Some visiting the area that will leave to to go to their places. But we'd like to invite you, if you're ever back in this area, uh, remember us. We hope you have a good experience here. We'll come back to worship with us again. If you're new to our area, you're looking for maybe a place to worship on a regular basis, we'd love to talk with you about that and answer any questions you might have about the congregation here, and so just uh, seek one of us out. And we'll set that up, and hopefully uh, you can get to know us a little bit better. And we can know you a little bit better. If you will, this morning turn to the ninth chapter of the book of Luke, uh, the Gospel of Luke, and we're going to look at a passage from the ninth chapter today. If you've ever written a story or told a story, or you've preached a sermon or, or told a joke. Uh, you might know about the rule of three, something called a little uh, device that's called the rule of three. Uh, It's the idea that if you have three characters in a story or you have three points in a story, somehow that resonates with the listener. We're, We're familiar with this, whether we've heard it called the rule of three or not. An Alabama fan, an Auburn fan, and an LSU fan walked into a coffee shop. Okay, that's the rule of three. Jesus uses the rule of three. Uh, Not all the time. He's uh, not enslaved to it, of course. but, But it's very common for Jesus to note three things in making a point. And so he wants to make a point that there is joy in heaven over one sinner that repents. And so he tells a story about a lost sheep that's found. And a lost coin that's found. And then a lost son that's found. There's the rule of three. Or he wants to tell a story about how we ought to be using our abilities in the kingdom of God. And so he tells a story about an estate owner who has servants and he gives to one servant ten talents. He gives to another servant two talents. And he gives to another servant one talent. And then we have the rule of three again. Or he wants to tell a story about how the word of God is often rejected when it's sown into the hearts of men. But sometimes and less often, it's uh, less frequently, it's, it's accepted. You see, there are three types of unproductive soil. There's the wayside soil that's packed down and the seed just lay on the top and the birds come and eat it. And then there's the rocky soil and the thorny soil. And so we see the rule of three again. It's just a device that's used by writers and speakers that somehow, and I don't know why, but it sort of resonates with us. We kind of relate to that. Well, in the passage we're going to look at today, three men encounter Jesus. Three men meet Jesus. And we try to learn really some valuable lessons from this particular passage. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. But he said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And another also said, I'll follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. And so we're gonna work our way through each of these encounters, these three men meeting Jesus, and then we're gonna draw out some applications and some observations. And so let's look at this first man who encounters Jesus He offers to follow Jesus. He says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, that's in keeping with our our series of lectures that we're preaching through the the year, following the Lamb wherever He goes. Well, that's what this man offers to do. I'll follow you wherever you go. I'll I'll follow you. seems like a a praiseworthy and noble offer, doesn't it? But, But Jesus doesn't. doesn't encourage him. He seems to discourage him. Jesus doesn't say, that's great. I'm looking for people just like you. Come on and be a part of me and and let's go. Let's let's do the work. That's not what Jesus says. He seems to warn him and and not intentionally discouraging him but just giving him the facts about what is going to cost him to be a disciple. He says in verse 58, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head." And he's sort of challenging this offer, isn't he? I'll follow you wherever you go. Okay, let me tell you where I'm going to go, you know. Let me tell you what it's going to be like if you follow me wherever I go. Now, you know the birds, they have nests. You know the foxes, they have their dens. But if you follow me, you're not going to have a home. You're not going to have a permanent place to lay your head you're not going to have a house where you can go and all the comforts of home, all the security of home. That that's just that's not going to be that's not going to be yours. We're going to go from place to place and we might set up uh, sort of the base of operations in a particular place for a while, but it's not going to be long before we leave there. We go somewhere else, and then, and then we go somewhere else. And so this idea of owning a home and having a permanent home, that, that's just not going to be there if you're a disciple of mine. Jesus doesn't have a permanent home. He doesn't own a house. He doesn't have the comforts of home and the security of, of a home. It's not because He couldn't afford a home. It's because of the work and the nature of the work that He came to do. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus is up early one morning and He he goes out to pray. Uh, He gets up before His disciples. They're looking for Him. They can't find Him. And finally, they they find Him. In verse 37, Peter says, Everyone is looking for you. And Jesus says, Let's go somewhere else to the towns nearby so that I may preach there also that's what I came for. And so everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says, we've got other places to go. (laughs) We've been here long enough for now. Let's go somewhere else. That's what I came to do, to go from place to place, preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And so in the life of Christ, we find Him in lots of different places. He's in Jerusalem, in Galilee, Decapolis, Tyre, Sidon area, we find him there. We find him in Caesarea Philippi and Samaria and Cana, Capernaum, Bethany. We find him lots of different places as he goes on from place to place. And so he tells this man, if you follow me, you're going to live, we would call it an itinerant life from place to place with no permanent home. Are you really willing to follow me Wherever you go, now that's that's, that's sort of the, the offer you've made, but are you really really willing to do that? Now some were, some were willing to do that. Remember when the rich young ruler comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter nineteen, and he has this conversation with Jesus. Jesus ultimately tells him, "Sell what you've got, give it to the poor, and come follow me." And that man went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. Jesus goes on to explain to the the Apostles how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. In the course of all that Peter says we've left everything to follow you. What about we've left everything. And so some people are willing to make that commitment. Some people are willing to separate themselves from the comforts and security of home to follow Jesus. This man had a decision to make didn't he? Jesus is, is pressing upon him that idea. You have a decision to make. I want you to be fully informed about the decision that you're going to make. Will he be a disciple and give up home, or will he retain his home in security and give up being a disciple? There's no in-between, is there? There's not a, well, I'll kind of be a a part-time disciple, because I really kind of like my home. There's no in-between. Either you give it up and follow me, or you give up following me, and you hold on to that. He's got a decision to make, doesn't he? Well, let's take a look at the second man. In this instance, Jesus does the inviting. The first time, the man offered, I'll follow you wherever you go. Here, now, Jesus says to another man, follow me. And so Jesus does the inviting, and the man accepts the offer on a condition. And so he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And so, yeah, I'll follow you is the implication. But on a condition, on the condition that you permit me first to go bury my father. Now, burying your father is not a trivial thing, (laughs) is it? Uh, Burial, proper burial was important in the ancient world. It was important to Jews. In several passages in the Old Testament, I've noted Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 4, it was especially shameful and degrading and sort of dehumanizing not to be buried. And so he says, these people, he's talking about the people of Judah, these people will die of deadly diseases. They will not be lamented or buried. They will be as dung on the surface of the ground and come to an end by sword and famine. Their carcasses will become food for the birds of the sky and for the beasts of the earth. It's a shameful thing not to be buried. Was to the Jews? And so this is not a trivial condition, not a trivial request. I'm going to bury my father. We we wouldn't consider it a trivial thing. If we were to have a gospel meeting scheduled with a preacher, let's just say we've got a gospel meeting scheduled for a preacher, and he calls us on Saturday night. And he says, You know, my, my father has died. The funeral is on Monday. I, I can't be there. Well, we wouldn't be upset about that, would we? We think that you, you just take care of your family. Uh, we, we'll manage. We'll find somebody else who can do it, or somehow we'll, we'll make arrangements. So, so we would not consider that a trivial excuse. It's not something flimsy. I need to go bury my father. Remember, ancient burial places were important to the Jews. You remember the cave of Machpelah? Remember who was buried there? I believe it was Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, and Leah. But that was a, a special place in that family. Furthermore, it's only a temporary situation. How long does it take to bury one's father? Maybe a few days? And so the man is not asking for a whole lot, is he? I will be glad to follow you, but first let me go bury my father, and then I'll come and 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 follow you. But Jesus doesn't allow this man to be excused. He says, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. You go preach. (laughs) That is, what I'm understanding is look, nothing can be done for your father. Your father is dead. His eternal destiny is is sealed. Going and burying him, no matter how lavish the ceremony or how honorable the burial, that's not going to affect your father. However, there are people out there that we can reach now. Now, we can do something about them. We, We can help them in their relationship with God and plan for eternity. So you go take care of those that we can help now. Can't do anything for your father. And so you leave those who are not interested in the kingdom of God to take care of that. And let's go search and find those that we can reach, those that we can help. Someone has suggested this is an illustration of the radical realignment of priorities Jesus demands of his disciples. I think that's a pretty good way to say it. The radical realignment of priorities. And so Jesus says, your commitment to me and your loyalty to me must be greater than that of your loyalty to your father and your family. Luke chapter 24, verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Not it would be hard for him to be my disciple. He can't be my disciple. If his commitment to me is not greater than his commitment to these others. In Mark chapter 3, go back to Mark chapter 3. On this occasion, Jesus is teaching and his family come come to him. And he's told about that. Your, Your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. And he said to them, who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, "Behold my mother and my brothers, whoever does the will of the God, will of God. He's my brother and sister and mother." So in, Jesus is not asking this man to do something that he was unwilling to do. And that statement just shows us that, look, my commitment to the kingdom of God is greater than my commitment even to my family. Perhaps the way the man expresses himself. It gives us some insight into his priorities. The uh, third and fourth words of his comments, maybe they uh, tell us something about it. You see, Lord, permit me first. Me first. <laughs> no, that's unacceptable, isn't it? Can't say me first and be a disciple of Jesus. Well, let's look at the third man here. Again, this man offers to be a disciple himself, like the first man, but he raises sort of the the condition himself right away. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord. It's interesting, he even calls him Lord, doesn't he? He even recognizes him as Lord. Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. And so I will follow you, but on the condition that, I can first say goodbye to my family at home." Well, again, that's, that's, that's not an unreasonable thing to ask. In fact, we might think it unloving or irresponsible not to do that. You mean, you want me to just go and not tell, not tell my family that I'm not coming home tonight or not tell my family what my future plans are? I mean, it, it, so so it's, not, it's not an unreasonable thing to ask. If you go back into 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah finds Elisha. Elisha is going to work with Elijah. And verse 20, uh, he says to Elijah, Please let me kiss my father and my mother, then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back again for what what have I done to you. So he returned from following Elijah took a pair of oxen, sacrificed them, and boiled their flesh with the implements of the oxen, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and ministered to him. And so he got Elisha saying, first let me go say goodbye to my family. Okay, go ahead. And so he goes, and then he follows. So it's not unreasonable for this man to ask, can I say goodbye to my family? But again... Jesus doesn't allow it. Maybe the way he expresses himself gives us some insight into his priorities. But first, permit me. And of course, that's unacceptable, isn't it? He's challenging, in a sense, he's challenging whether Jesus is really his Lord or not. Now, you've called me Lord. Let me put that to the test. You've addressed me as Lord. Am I really your Lord? or do you have a commitment that comes first before your commitment to me? So if Jesus is Lord, we're committed to Him above all else. And so he's sort of challenging that idea. Well, what's this business about putting, one, putting one's hand to the plow and looking back? Well, I'm not a plowman. I've never plowed in, in my life. Not the, not the kind of plowing that he's talking about. Uh, and, but, but the idea is that you know you get you, you're trying to prepare your field for planting, and so you've got an animal and he's pulling the plow and you're turning turning the ground with the plow, and and you have to you pick a point in the in, in ahead and up ahead, and so you've got your eye on that and you're you're trying to pro, plow a straight line. But if you look back, where are you going to get offline? and your row is, is not going to be straight. So that's the idea. It, 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 if you're going to follow me, we're looking ahead. We're not going to look back. We're not going to look at, back at family. We're not going to look back at the world. Do you remember anybody else that looked back in the Old Testament in the Bible? Lot's wife. You remember that? Genesis chapter 19. She looked back longingly, I think, at what she is leaving behind in Sodom She was turned into a pillar of salt. We're not looking back. We're putting our eye ahead on the work that's ahead of us, and we're going to do that work, and otherwise we're going to get offline. We're going to get off track, and things are not going to work out well. Of course, some are willing to do this. I thought about Mark chapter 1, when Jesus calls uh, Peter and Andrew and James and John, especially James and John, this is uh, in verses 19 and 20. Going a little farther, saw James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, who also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called to them, they left their father Zebedee in the boat with a hired servant, and went away and followed him. Follow me, okay. they, they leave their family behind. <laughs> and so, and they follow Jesus. In chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, verse 13. We find the same thing happening in the case of Matthew or Levi, who's a tax collector. Jesus says, follow me, got up and followed him. So this man has a decision to make, doesn't he? He has a decision to make. Is he going to follow Jesus first? Or is he going to take care of what he thinks are his responsibilities towards family first? He has a decision to make. Well, let me make a few observations and applications here toward the end. Now, the story is told as an actual event. This isn't a parable. Seems to me an actual event. Verse 57, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I'll follow you wherever you go. How how does the story end? How, How does this end? What do the three men do? Uh, Do they go away sorrowful like the rich young ruler doesn't say that? Do they say, well, you know, you know, you're right. I'm I'm going to follow you. I'll I'll get in touch with my family later or something like that. We really don't know, do we? At least we're not told. And that sort of open-endedness kind of piques our interest and it raises certain questions in our minds like, what did they do? What did these men do? And that may lead us to the question, well, what should they have done? Well, what should they have done on this, in this situation? Which leads us to the question, well, what should I do? <laughs> and the question, well, what am I doing? Am I fulfilling my commitment to Christ first? Am I putting it ahead of all other things? Or are there other things that I want to do first? You see, I'm willing to be a disciple, but I kind of want to be a part-time disciple and follow Christ first. Uh, follow Christ, But there are some other things that I, I kind of need to take care of. I'm not saying those other things are trivial. These, these things with these men weren't, weren't trivial. We have a decision to make, don't we? Just like they did. So one point of the passage is to show the reader The kind of commitment Jesus requires of his disciples. Commitment to Christ above all things. Above things of this world, above home and possessions. The most, or the closest and most important relationships. That's what Jesus teaches here. And so you have duty to your family. You you have your home and security and things like that. You have to bury your father. Look, my commitment to me comes ahead of all of those things. In Luke chapter 9 and verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Deny himself. Deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. And if you go a few more pages, Luke chapter 14, you see similar teaching in verse 25. The large crowds were going along with him, and he turned and said to him, If anyone comes to me and doesn't hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. In verse 33, So then none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his possessions. The rich young ruler learned the lesson. Luke chapter 18 tells Luke's account of the uh, the encounter Jesus has with the rich young ruler. Remember what Jesus says to him. You lack how many things? How many things do you lack? One. You, you lack one thing. Go sell what you've got. You, the, the one thing that comes between you being a faithful disciple and me. That one thing you've got to do something about that. You've got to sell that. got to get that out of your life and come follow me. And so a partial commitment just, just won't do. As we noted uh, with the apostles earlier, they were willing to say, because they had done it, we've left everything to follow you. Now Jesus wants people to know this before they commit to being a disciple. And so he tells these people here in Luke chapter 9, all these things, before they they commit to being a disciple. They, They make the offer, but Jesus wants them to know this is the price that you're going to have to pay. reminded me of Ecclesiastes Chapter 5 and verse 4. When you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delights in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. And so it's foolish to say, I'm a disciple of Christ. He is the the Lord of my life if we're not willing to carry through on the vow. So Jesus wants people to know that so that they can make an informed decision. On the other hand, if Jesus is Lord of all things in our life, even our Lord of ourselves, we have hope of eternal life. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so if we call upon him as our Lord, if he is indeed our Lord, that gives us hope of life eternal. One other observation, then we'll bring it to a close. In at least two of these instances, Luke chapter 9, Jesus talks about the work that has to be done as a disciple. And so he tells the second man, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. So let the dead bury the dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere. Now you got, we got work to do. If you're going to be a disciple of mine, there's work to do. And then in verse 62, he implies it as well. No one after putting his hand in the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now that's, that's hard work, putting your hand in the plow. And so if you're going to be my disciple, there's plowing to do. You know, there's, there's hard work that has to be done. And I expect once you start it, I, I, I expect you to see it all the way through. Being a disciple involves more than just a mental exercise. There's some sort of confession or acknowledgement that Jesus is the Lord, or that He is the Son of God, or some sort of affirmation that I'm His disciple. No, it involves doing the work of the King, and doing the work of the kingdom. It involves putting our hands to the plow. Consider these situations, and what Jesus might say by way of answer. You know, I would assemble to worship the Lord, but first I've got some things to take care of around the house. Or, you know, I would assemble for worship, but, you know, first we have a ball game to go to. Or I would assemble, but, you know, we're going on vacation. (laughs) What do you think Jesus would say in light of our our study today? Well, what would Jesus say about, about that? Or, you know, I would make a generous contribution to the Lord's work, but first... You know, I've got to pay my streaming services bill. <laughs> or, or first, you know, we're saving up for, for a vacation later on. What, what would Jesus say about that in light of what we've said? I would do this, but first, I've got some other things. Or, you know, I would try to teach my neighbor the gospel, but first, I think I need to learn a little bit more. <laughs> or, but first... I'm going to wait for a better opportunity." What what would Jesus say about that? Or, you know, I would read my Bible and pray today, but first I want to finish this show I'm watching. Or, but first I got a little yard work to do. (laughs) Or, but first I want to get my nap out. (laughs) What would Jesus say to all of that? Other situations might be described as well. The point is that being a disciple places a responsibility on us of proclaiming the kingdom of God and doing the work of the kingdom, no excuses. Right? Isn't that the point of the parable? Or it's not a parable point of this account. Being a disciple puts responsibility upon us to proclaim the kingdom and do the work of the king, no excuses. So, we have a decision to make, don't we? We have a decision to make. You know, sometimes in life, uh, it it really doesn't help to take complicated situations and try to apply simplistic solutions. That that really doesn't. It's not very effective. But but there are times when it all boils down to a simple thing, and, and that's that's this situation. Am I a disciple of Jesus or not? Am I going to follow the Lord? Is He actually my Lord or not? Well, we know what the price is. We know what the cost is. We've been informed. We have a decision to make. And so we, as Jesus did, invite you to follow Him. And making that decision, the promise is eternal life. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we're thankful for the day, the Lord's day, we're thankful for the opportunity to come together and to worship you. You're worthy of our worship, Father, and we pray that the things that we've done today have been pleasing to you. We're thankful that your son, Jesus Christ, has come into the world, that he's proclaimed your kingdom, that he's made it possible for us to be citizens within that kingdom. Father, we pray that we will commit ourselves to him, that we will follow him because he's worthy of our devotion. He's worthy of our allegiance. He's worthy of our loyalty. And we pray, Father, that we will be faithful to him and loyal to him and committed to him above all else in our lives. Not that other things don't have importance, but he is the most important. And we pray that we will be faithful to him in everything we do. Help us to make that decision today, Father, and each day of our lives going forward. And we're thankful, Father, for the hope of eternal life that you've promised to us if we are true to that commitment. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're with us.